Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, all of you beautiful people. Jules here for WhatCulture.com. And who doesn't love a good adaptation of a real-life story to the silver screen? Well, my friends, you've heard nothing yet. As I'm Jules, this is WhatCulture.com, and these are ten based-on-true-story movies that actually left out the craziest part. Number 10. Solomon Never Got His Happy Ending 12 Years a Slave In 12 Years a Slave, a free black man called Solomon is kidnapped and sold as a slave in the Deep South. After spending 12 years living under the brutal conditions of several slave masters, he's finally reunited with his wife and children. Even though 12 Years a Slave shows Solomon being lynched, beaten and tortured, Steve McQueen's film could have actually been more heart-wrenching by adding in just one more detail. In the final scene, Solomon wins his freedom and embraces his family. But this ending implies that he lived happily ever after. It turns out, though, that Solomon vanished without a trace four years later. At first, it was assumed that he was sold into slavery again, but because he was 50 years old at the time, he would have been considered far too old for enslavement. The other theory was that he was tracked down and killed by disgruntled slave masters. But the truth is, is that nobody actually has a clue as to what actually happened to him. It's horrific knowing that Solomon was torn away from his family for over a decade, but it's made even worse knowing that he only enjoyed his reunion for about four years. Number 9. The methods to find witches were absolutely absurd. The Crucible The Crucible centers around the infamous Salem witch trials, which led to many people being sentenced to death for witchcraft. In the opening scene, Abigail Williams is performing a blood ritual with several young women. When she and her cousin Betty are accused of consorting with the devil, Abigail proclaims that they were bewitched by another. This proclamation caused the whole town of Salem to turn on one another, which led to 19 residents being hanged for witchcraft. In reality, Abigail and Betty proved that they were not devil worshippers after partaking in the witch cake test. For this assessment, two women had to, well, urinate in a cake which was then fed to a dog. If the dog fell ill, it proved that the pair were witches. Because the mutt was perfectly fine after consuming the witch cake, Abigail and Elizabeth were let off the hook. Unfortunately, the person who baked the cake was then accused of sorcery, since she knew how to make a urine-soaked confectionery. And who made this accusation? Well, Abigail and Betty. That's ironic, seeing as the person in question only agreed to bake the cake to prove the woman's innocence. Number 8. The bearded lady's life was crazier than Barnum's. The greatest 
Showman. It's common knowledge that Hugh Jackman's character from The Greatest Showman, P.T. Barnum, wasn't exactly a nice man. Renowned for mistreating his animals and employees, it's a miracle this film adaptation was able to paint him as a character that you actually rooted for. But if you're the devil's advocate, you could argue that a few details had to be revised to make Barnum much more charming. If the film wanted to tell an underdog story without changing the facts, however, it should have focused on the bearded lady, Letty Lutz, who is based on a circus performer, Annie Jones. Now, Jones's parents sold her to Barnum Circus when she was just nine months old. At the age of five, she developed facial hair, causing her to become one of Barnum's star attractions, the bearded girl. At one point, a quack doctor seemingly kidnapped Annie, but it's uncertain if this was another of Barnum's publicity stunts. Annie broke away from Barnum to tour the world as a solo act and fight for the rights of people who were labelled as freaks. But when her funds ran low, Annie found herself reluctantly returning to Barnum's show as one of his many attractions. Number 7. Ancient Roman Fighters Were Absolute Sellouts Gladiator Okay, so Gladiator isn't really considered to be historically accurate. Not only did Maximus and Commodus have no relationship in real life, they actually lived two centuries apart. However, director Ridley Scott wanted to make the film true to life as possible. He kept away from cliched images of Romans in togas eating grapes and drinking from goblets. He wanted to tell a story that felt real. However, Scott changed his mind when he read the original script. In the first draft, there were scenes of Russell Crowe's character Maximus promoting olive oil for a sponsorship deal. Worse still, Maximus's face was plastered on mosaics and action figures. Scenes like this sound so absurd, and it actually feels more fitting for a Monty Python sketch rather than a historical dramatization. Upon investigation, though, Scott was baffled to learn that the script's accuracy was pretty spot on. Because gladiators were willing to fight to the death for pure entertainment, they were the biggest celebrities in the city and used their fame to sell products. If you thought that athletes had only began promoting products recently, well, it's actually a practice that has been going on for a millennia. Number six, the wooden gun scene was sillier in real life. Public Enemies. In Michael Mann's crime drama Public Enemies, FBI agent Melvin Purvis leads the manhunt against infamous bank robber and killer John Dillinger. Halfway through the movie, the authorities manage to arrest Dillinger and several members of his gang. The criminals are then transported to Indiana, where they're locked up in the county jail. While in his cell, Dillinger carves a wood block into the shape of a gun and then paints it black. He holds this pistol towards the cops and orders them to release him. When they unlock his cell, he takes three of them hostage while raiding their weapons. Even though the film seems grounded in reality, some viewers found this scene ridiculously far-fetched. Fooling the authorities with a fake gun, that sounds like something that would happen in a screwball comedy, not a biographical drama. But the truth is actually far more absurd. In reality, Dillinger didn't take three cops hostage with his prop weapon, he took 17. However, the film scaled it back to just three hostages, worried that the scene would come across as cartoonishly silly if events were depicted accurately. Number 5. Ed Wood's life became more bizarre after Plan 9 from Outer Space Ed Wood Tim Burton's Ed Wood tells the story of Edward Davis Wood Jr., often considered the worst film director ever. The story centers around Wood breaking into the movie industry and concludes with him watching the cinematic release of his picture, Plan 9 from Outer Space. However, the film barely touches on what happened after that. After Wood's next few pictures tanked, he gave up on making horror movies and focused on making pornography. Although the epilogue of Burton's Ed Wood states that he took part in nudie films, that doesn't even scratch the surface 
surface. Wood wrote a staggering 80 sex crime novels with titles like The Sex Ecutives and Necromania. He also wrote over 100 erotic short stories for newspapers and magazines and directed almost 20 pornos. Wood became so depressed by his failure in the movie world, he became utterly consumed by alcoholism. Although it isn't depicted in Burton's film, Wood was drunk while directing all of his movies. However, his alcoholism actually increased tremendously when he descended into porn. As pathetic as Wood comes across in Burton's film, the director's life was much sadder than anyone could have imagined. Number 4. Spielmann's rescuer deserved way more credit. The Pianist After a family of Polish Jews are sent to an extermination camp, one of them, Władysław Spielmann, gets separated. Two years later, he has sought refuge in an abandoned house in the Warsaw Ghetto. When a Wehrmacht officer called Wilm Hosenfeld discovers Spielmann, he decides not to turn him in. Instead, he feeds him and ensures that none of the other Nazis will locate him. Several months later, Spielmann is rescued by former prisoners of the concentration camps, and in the closing scene, a piece of text states that Hosenfeld died in a Soviet camp in 1952. However, it fails to mention that Spielmann was one of the many people that Hosenfeld rescued. Although Hosenfeld was forced into joining the Nazi regime, he became disillusioned with their motives as soon as the war began. Throughout World War II, he visited Polish churches and gave refuge to Poles. Over six years, Hosenfeld was responsible for stopping at least 60 Jews from being sent to concentration camps. Although the film depicts him as a hero, what we see is only a glimpse of his actions. It would have been nice if his other acts of heroism were mentioned in the epilogue. Number 3. Togo went missing immediately after the relay. Togo. In 1925, the inhabitants of Nome, Alaska were gripped with diphtheria. Although they could be saved with basic medicine, the blizzard at the time made the region inaccessible through conventional means. A musher called Leonard was tasked with traveling to Nome with the antidote with his sled dogs, led by the Siberian husky Togo. Although 20 mushers were involved in this relay and each participant traveled from 20 to 50 miles, Togo's group ran a whopping 260 miles. After he reached his goal, the film depicts his mutt collapsing from exhaustion but the real Togo had boundless energy and wouldn't rest ever, even after galloping over 260 miles in minus 40 degrees Celsius. According to sources, immediately after his mission was complete, he ran off to play with a reindeer. People tried to keep up with Togo but couldn't compete with his husky speed and eventually he just gave up and he arrived home three days later. Even though it seemed impossible for Togo to survive in blizzards hundreds of miles from home, he was found a week later and transported back with minimal injuries. It's uncertain why this detail was removed as it would have created a lot of tension in the audience who thought that Togo might not make it home after all. Number 2. Howard Hughes's final years were depressing as hell. The Aviator. Martin Scorsese's The Aviator follows Howard Hughes, one of the world's most powerful men during the early 20th century. Nowadays, Hughes is famous for living as a hermit in his final years. Although Hughes's OCD is depicted in the movie, the story ends before his mental instability reaches rock bottom. As his condition got worse, he refused to see his wife for 14 years, terrified that she would infect him with germs. When he overstayed at the Desert Inn Hotel, he bought the entire complex on a whim. After buying 350 gallons of a banana nut ice cream, he suddenly said he didn't like the flavor anymore, forcing his assistants to dispose of it. And because he was expected to pay state tax every 180 days, he moved to another state every 179 days. By the end of his life, he only weighed a mere 90 pounds. While heading to hospital on his plane, he died from kidney failure. Because he hadn't shaved or cut his nail in years, he was completely unrecognizable and could only be identified through his fingerprints. And number one, John Dupont's entire life. 
Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher centers around wrestling champion Mark Schultz, who is being trained by multi-millionaire John Dupont. Even though Dupont is depicted as a mentally unstable, drug-addicted murderer, the film somehow tones down these um eccentricities. When he was 30 years old, he was involved in such a horrific horse-riding accident that he had both his testicles removed. On his wedding day, he was convinced that somebody was trying to kidnap his fiance, and according to his fiance, he held a gun to her and tried to kick her into a fireplace, believing her to be a Russian spy. He was also fired from the university that he worked in after a male student accused him of sexually inappropriate behavior. He often wandered around the Foxcatcher property claiming to see spirits, Disney characters, and trees walking around. Of course, details like this were left out of the film since Foxcatcher was trying to focus on the Schultz brothers' relationship with each other and DuPont. However, there are so many fascinating aspects about DuPont, you could dedicate a whole movie to the disgraced philanthropist's life. 